First off, let me give you a couple of quick announcements. Let me remind you, uh, coming up very soon, our ladies, a night of good news. Uh, that's on Thursday, the 29th at 6 o'clock, 6.30 in the uh, fellowship in the FLC. That is going to be a great time. It's going to be a good time. Uh, going to be a very fun time. There's a sign-up table uh, out in the foyer, so if you want to take a couple seconds and, and, and sign up for that, want to encourage you to invite folks to join you at that. What a great opportunity to, to bring some folks into in the uh, fellowship of that evening that's going on. So I want to remind you of that. Also, I want to tell you, I'm going to go ahead and make an announcement tonight. I'm going to make an announcement Sunday morning as well. Uh, I'm going to make a very important announcement uh, Sunday night, the 25th. That's this coming Sunday night, so I want to encourage you to be there for that. So that's this coming uh, Sunday night. We're going to go back tonight to our study, How-Tos on the Highway to Heaven. Uh, this is our next to last lesson uh, in that Bible study. We're going to wrap it up next week. It's going to be a great wrap-up uh, next week. And I'll just tell you, what a great study. What a great, great study it has been. Uh, each episode is, is on our church website. You can access it there. Also on our Facebook page as well if you want to share that for other folks to see. Uh, it truly has been a great uh, Bible study. Tonight we're going we're gonna to talk about a different subject. And I want you to start off tonight by thinking about right now the best trip that you have ever been on. Uh, where was that? The best trip, the best vacation, the best trip that you've ever been on. I'm just going to ask a few folks to shout out where that trip, uh, where that was to. Best trip you've ever been on. Where was that to? Nashville, Tennessee. Who said that? All right, Nashville, Tennessee. Is Dollywood in Nashville? <laughs> Close by. Anybody else? Best trip you've ever been on? Dustin, Florida. The Super Bowl. That's hard to beat. Anybody else? Best trip? Where? Gatlinburg, Tennessee. That is where Dollywood's at. <laughs> Anybody else? Disney World. Israel. That's hard to beat. Everybody else? Oh, now. <laughs> Anybody else? Best trip you've ever been on? <laughs> the Cracker Barrel in the lower 48. <laughs> Anybody else? One more. Best place you've ever been? Chillicothe. The Dairy Queen in Chillicothe. All right, here's, here's the weird thing about trips. When we come back from trips, and you just watch this, we naturally have to tell others about our trip. I don't know a person that takes a trip that doesn't come back and have to tell you about that trip. And they want to tell you where they went. Uh, we went to Gatlinburg. We went to Dollywood. They want to tell you what they did uh, when they went there. They want to tell you where they stayed. We stayed at this place. They want to tell you what we saw. We saw this and we saw that. And we went to this place. Uh, my favorite thing, they want to tell you what they ate. Uh, we had seafood. We had this. We went to this restaurant. For some reason, we just naturally want to tell somebody about our trip, and it just happens. I don't, I don't know a person that comes back that holds it to themselves. But then there's something weird that happens in that process, and you watch, you can agree with this as well. There's something weird that happens as we're telling folks about our trip, there's some turning point when we actually start to try to persuade them to go on that trip. You ever notice that? 
You ought to go to Israel. You ought to go. You would love it. We went. Our tour guide said this. You should go this summer. You really should. Spring break, I would make plans to go there. For some reason, we start to try to persuade them to go on the same trip. Here's where we stayed. You know what? I have some coupons. You know what? Here's the number. Um, Here's the worst one. People that go on cruises. People that go on cruises, they talk about the buffet. They talk about all the things you can eat. They talk about all the things that never stop. For some reason, we become evangelists for the trip, and we start to try to convince people to take the same trip. I was thinking about that. Do you know that's how probably a whole lot of folks end up with timeshares? My dad was the toughest sale, the toughest sale ever, and somehow he came home from a trip with a timeshare because they start to say, you can do this and you can do that and you can trade your points and you can go to the Caribbean. Uh, He never went past Chillicothe and yet he ended up with a timeshare. We want others to go on our trips and we want you to take the same trip we had and we want you to have the same experiences that we had. And here's a question. Is it the same with our Christian walks? We've been using an analogy throughout the Bible study about our walk being a journey. That's the analogy of the book. Do we excitedly tell people about our walk with Christ? And I want you to think about that. Do you excitedly tell people about your walk with Christ? Do you want them to take the same trip? Do you try to actually persuade them into taking the trip that you're on? Now, there's a sad statistic. I say it a lot, but I I don't like it that says that uh, evangelical Christians, nine out of 10, have never led a person to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, when I think about that, what is the difference? What makes us talk about our trip? What makes us become evangelists for that trip? And what makes us or makes us not tell folks about our walk with Jesus Christ? And I came down to this one single word. There could be a lot of things. Here's what I came up with. It all goes back to joy. It all goes back to joy. When you come home from your trip, when you come home from Gatlinburg, when you come home from Israel, when you come home from your trip, you're excited about your trip. You're glad to have been on your trip. It is a big deal to have been on the trip. And then when you get home, especially home, it's in contrast to everywhere else. This isn't as beautiful as Gatlinburg. This isn't as meaningful as Israel. And it starts to contrast with the normal things where we exist at now. Well, for some reason, in our Christian walks, we lose that joy. And I wish it weren't so, but I think that's the case. For some reason, when we've been saved for any length of time, it's not new to us. We we forget what it means to be saved and what we're saved from. We're not as glad as we once were. It's not as big of a deal as it once was. And we start to lose our joy. We start to lose our excitement when our walk with Jesus Christ. Now, when that happens, we stop telling other folks about our walk with Christ. We stop inviting them to join us on our walk. The trip that I was so excited about, that I couldn't stop talking about, that I wore everybody out showing you pictures of, five or six years later just becomes some episode in the past and maybe a picture on your refrigerator. Somehow we lose the joy 
of what it is to be saved. Now, as fast as I say that, I think about David. David in Psalm 51, he's praying, he's been caught in sin, and he actually prays as part of the remedy for that. In, In Psalm 51, God restore to me the joy of my salvation. He actually asks God, remind me of the joy, bring to mind, restore to me, give back to me the joy of my salvation. We have to remember what happened when we got saved. We have to remember that we are forgiven of our sins. We have to remember that we have eternal life, that we are new creations in Christ. We have to remember how it happened, that it happened in the sacrifice of the cross. It happened because of Christ's great love. We have to remember the one that secures it and gives it to us, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Restore to me the joy of our salvation. Well, tonight in our our chapter, we're going to talk about bringing people with us on our trip. And that's going to be the point of our Bible study tonight. We're going to talk about, uh, we're on this journey, we've put our faith in Christ, we're heading in our journey to to meet Christ either in death or, or when he comes again, but in that meantime, we're going to talk about inviting others to join us on that trip. Now, I'm I'm going to tell you something, and it may be surprising. It's not about how. How do you invite people to Christ? How do you share your faith? What method? It's not about the method. There are plans for leading people to Christ. We've talked about a lot of them. We've studied a few of them. But I want to tell you, it's not about the plan. It's not about the how. It's not about the method. We're not failing because of the method, which means if we had a better method, we'd tell more folks about Christ. It's not about the method. It's really about what we truly believe. And so here's the deal. We're going to talk about inviting folks to join us in our Christian walk. But it's not about the how. It's not about the method. It is about what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just tell you this. As we work through these five things, if we will settle what we believe, the rest will take care of itself. If if we'll settle what we'll believe, the method will work out. If we'll settle what we believe, the, the nerves, that'll work out. We have to go back and settle what we believe. And so it's not about the how. It's not about a method. I'm not going to tell you some way to lead four of your friends to Christ tonight. I'm going to tell you the things that we must believe if we're going to invite folks to join us in our Christian walk. All right, here we go. First thing is this. We must believe that people need a Savior. We must believe that people need a Savior. Here's the thing. Satan wants us to lose that perspective. The world wants to overrun us and help us lose that perspective. We have to be very sure tonight that people need a Savior. Here's the deal. Our problem is sin. My problem is sin. Your problem is sin. Every person in here, our problem is sin. Here's what the Bible says. In sin, we are cut off from God. In sin, we have no fellowship with God. In sin, we are guilty and condemned. We're not waiting for some later date. We're already guilty. We're already condemned in our sin. In our sin, we are hopeless. Do you understand? You are hopeless. We are hopeless 
in our sin. We are lost, is what the Bible says. We are destined for a day of judgment, and after that, eternal punishment. Do you know the Bible actually tells us there is coming an eternal punishment for those that are found in their sin. Now, here's the problem about sin. We have a sin problem. Here's the big deal about it. There's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing you can do about the problem we have in sin. All of the good works you can muster up won't help you. You can do good things and you can do good things and you can do better things than they're doing and good works will not help you. Sacrifices, you can go and you can make sacrifices and you can do all the Old Testament things and those will not help you. Religious stuff, you can come to the church and you can do these things and you can sign up for all the activities and you can come to the good news ladies night Religious things will not help you with your sin problem. Here's the teaching of scripture. We need a savior. We have no answer. We need a savior. Without a savior, the Bible says we are perishing. Means we're cut off. We're doomed without a savior. We need a savior. And let me just tell you this. So you're sure tonight, all people need a savior. All right, listen to this. Your granny, man, she's awesome, isn't she? Your granny, she needs a savior. Your neighbor needs a savior. Your kids, all oh, your beautiful kids, your kids need a savior. Your parents, ooh, I love my parents. Your parents need a savior. Your friends need a savior. Your enemies need a savior. This morning I was watching the, the court case they had the verdict yesterday, and I was watching all the things, and if you're not careful, you can get pulled into 10 different ways of that. As I watched that, you know what I started to notice? The person that died, you know what he needed? A savior. The person that killed him, however, whatever reason, you know what he needed? A savior. The judge that sat up there, you know what he needs? A savior. The lawyers that took all the money to argue their cases need a savior. The jury that was put in this position, they need a savior. All people need a savior. Now, here's what the world says. No, you need a better environment. If you had a better environment, you'd do better. You need better circumstances. If I had a different marriage, if I had a different this, if I had a different job, if my bank account was full, you need a better situation. Or here's what we teach our kids now. You need a better self-esteem. If you just thought more highly of yourself, you'd make A's, you'd ace the ACT, you'd do all these great things. You need a better self-esteem. Here's the truth. All people need a savior. We have to know that tonight. All people need a savior. They are doomed. We are. They are perishing without a savior. The Bible is clear. All people need a savior. We have to believe that. Do you believe that? All people need a savior. All right, here's the second thing we must believe. Second thing we must believe is this. Second thing we must believe, God wants all people to be saved. We have to believe God wants all people to be saved. That's what he wants. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise. They're saying, why hasn't he come back? As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish. I want you to hear that not wishing, not desiring for any to perish, but for all, pos, but for all, that's the Greek word, to come to repentance. 
The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Another set of verses, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The end of verse 3 says, God, our Savior, verse 4, who desires all men, all, pas, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Here's the deal. God wants all people to be saved. His desire is that none should perish. He desires all people that they would be saved. Let me tell you this. It is a growing movement. There are some who do not believe this, and they're teaching this. They're teaching God does not want all people to be saved. And they'll say, well, all has a different meaning or desires has four different meanings. And they teach that God doesn't want all people to be saved. Well, here's what I would like to say to that. God who reveals himself to us, he reveals himself to us, he does so revealing that he is compassionate, that he is gracious, that his mercies are not having a limit, but they're infinite. His mercies are new every single morning. And so our God has revealed himself to us as being gracious and merciful. And to say any different, that God doesn't want all people to be saved, here's what it means. I'm going to be honest with you. It means that I'm more gracious than God. Because you know what? I hope my grandparents are saved. I want them to be. My kids, oh, I want them to have a faith relationship with Christ. And if I want them to be saved, but God doesn't, it is saying I am more gracious and compassionate than our God. Listen, we must believe God wants all people to be saved. Now, it's going to keep stacking, and you're going to see why it matters. We must believe God wants all people to be saved. All right, the third thing we must believe is this. The third thing we must believe is that he died for all people. He died for all people. All people need a savior. God wants all people to be saved. We must believe he died for all people. Let me tell you a familiar verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, speaking of Christ, he's named in verse 14, says, and he died for all so that so they who live might no longer live for themselves but live for him who died and rose on their behalf. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says this, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. Jesus died for all. Jesus died. You must be sure he died for all. Why is that important? Why does that matter? I want you to reverse that for just a second. I want you just to think of that, the implications of that, if Jesus did not die for everyone, if he did not die for all, I want you to picture what happens to our command to evangelize. I want you to picture what happens to evangelism. I was thinking about telling you about Christ. 
I'm not sure he chose you. I'm not sure. I, I read the Bible broad as the way. I wanted to tell you all about Christ, but most likely he didn't want you either. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Or how about this? It is a form of taunting to hold up salvation for those that don't have the ability to receive it. And that's what they're teaching. And so if I were to come in this room and know most of y'all God doesn't want, most of you he didn't choose by his own word, most of you he didn't give the ability to believe, and I were to say, there's life in Jesus, there's life in Jesus, the forgiveness of sin, but you can't have it. What a mean form of taunting. We have to be very sure if we're gonna invite folks to go with us on our trip, that Christ Jesus died for all. So follow with me. All people need a savior. God wants all to be saved. He died for all. I see the progression, see how it's stacking. All people need a savior. God wants all to be saved, desiring that none should perish. He died for all, giving a, a means of salvation for all people. And then here's the fourth thing. All right, that's stacking up. We're firm in those beliefs. We're hammering those out. Then the fourth thing is this. So we must believe that he commissions us to do something about it. He calls us as believers to do something about it. All people, every person you know needs a savior. All people God wants them to be saved. He desires that they would be saved. He died for all people. You must believe that God commissions us to do something about it. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. I want you to hear that again. We are, as believers, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is the one that goes and does business on behalf of somebody else. Our ambassador in Europe, he's doing our trading, our bidding. An ambassador represents the one that sent him. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making, listen to that word, an appeal through us. Listen to this. We beg you. I compel you, I beg you, I'm trying to persuade you to be reconciled to God. Acts chapter one, verse eight. I was writing this up this afternoon and I remembered my first sermon at this church in this pulpit in view of a call was Acts chapter one, verse eight. Here's what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, when you put your faith in Christ and you shall be my witnesses. Notice it says, shall be. You might be, you could be. You shall, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God because you've trusted Christ, you shall be my witnesses. The word means testifiers. You're gonna testify both in Jerusalem, that's their local setting, and in Judea and Samaria, that's the surrounding area, and even to the remotest part of the earth. That means here, there, and everywhere. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you're gonna testify to Christ here, there, and everywhere, close to you and further out. Let me read the Great Commission to you. Matthew chapter 28, the last part of the, of the Gospel of Matthew says this. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me 
in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The last recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, let me read it to you again. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the teaching, the command of of Christ, our great commission. Here's the deal. As followers of Christ, we're to tell the good news. Well, I thought that was the church's job. I thought that was the preacher's job. I thought that was the evangelist's job. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are, I am, we are to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. We're to invite folks to Christ. We're to invite folks to Jesus Christ. We're actually to call people to join us on the road, join us in our walk with Jesus Christ. For some reason, that's been removed from our Christian practice. I was talking to a preacher um, a few years back, and he was talking about there used to be a word in the church called soul winning. And people said, we're going to go soul winning. We want to talk about soul winning Uh, We were out soul winning. We were thinking about soul winning. Our program was built around soul winning. Did you know you don't hear that in the church anymore? That's weird in the church today. That's goofy in the church today. We want to talk about programs in the church. We want to talk about the things we have for your kids in the church. We want to talk about the things you can enjoy in our church. Actually, the mission of the church is to be soul winners, We're to tell others, invite them to join us in our walk with Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you why. Go back up through that. Because he did die for all. Because he does desire that none should perish. Because all people need a Savior. Let me me ask you a question right there. Why does he give us the Great Commission? Why would we be obedient to the Great Commission? Because... He did die for all people because he does desire all of us to be saved because all people need a savior. Let me ask you a simple question here. Do you see then why what we believe actually matters? Do you see that? That's why what we believe actually matters. And I want want you to see this Do you see what happens when there is a breakdown in belief? If you're not believing part of one of those or or one or two or three of those, do you see what happens when there's a breakdown in belief? If you do not have your beliefs settled, it all starts to fall apart. I don't know if he died for everybody. Limited atonement. He only died for some. I don't know if he died for everybody. I don't think I'm going to tell him then. That's his business. He'll draw them. He'll take care of it. Well, I thought Jesus gave us the great commission. Well, I, I don't know that he wants everybody. Well, I, 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 you, you just go piece by piece. If you don't believe 
these things, it starts to break down and it falls apart and evangelism disappears. You know what's disappearing in the American church? Evangelism. You know what's missing today? People telling folks that there is hope and there is peace and there's good news. And I'm not here to win you to a denomination. I'm here to tell you about a savior that loves you. And that is missing in the church today because some of these beliefs are falling away. And, and, and when we have a peace missing, the whole thing starts to crumble out from under us. And so that brings us to this. We must believe that he calls and he commissions us to do something about it to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must believe that. Tonight, when you leave here, you need to be sure. He wants all people to be saved. He died for all people. They all need a savior. And then you must believe he's called you to do something about it. And that brings us to the fifth thing. So, we must believe there will be opportunities to do it. And this, this is where it gets very practical. I believe all people need a savior. I want to talk about that for just a second. There is another growing segment that says all people are going to heaven anyway. There's no such thing as a literal hell. I can tell you the people that teach that, Oprah Winfrey teaches that. All people, they're, they're, they're good in, in the core anyway. They don't need a savior. And you start to say that, you know what? There's no need for evangelism. That's just another distortion. We have to believe all people need a savior. We have to believe God died in Christ for all people. We have to decide that he wants all people, desires that none should perish. We have to believe he commissions us, each of us to do something about it. And then that brings us to this last thing. So we must believe there'll be opportunities to do it. Here's the truth. What I'm talking about is God's work. What I'm talking about is Christ's mission. He came to seek and to save that which is lost, Luke 19, 10. What I'm talking about is the very heart of God. It is the very heart of Christ. And so if we believe those things, and if we will obey, if remember the song, trust and obey? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. If we believe those things and we actually obey, here's the truth. There will be opportunities to lead people to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. And, I, and I'll just say it, and so we'll just get it out of the air. If you believe all people need a Savior, and if you believe it's God's will that none should perish, if you believe that Christ came and he died for all, and if you believe that he has commissioned you to do something about it, if you believe those things, and if you're obedient to it, let me just say it, you will lead people to Jesus you will lead people to Jesus. I was thinking, going back, looking at some of the episodes in the, in the gospel accounts. In John chapter one, verse 41, Andrew um, has been running around with John the Baptist. He is trained as a Jew to look for the Messiah. God will provide a savior. He's trained in that. And he finds the Messiah. Now, I want you to think about how big that is. He's looking for the Savior from God. He actually finds Jesus. The Nazarene is the Messiah. In verse 41, John chapter 1, verse 41, it says, And he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, 
we have found the Messiah. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. When I, when I see that account there, how, he, how tremendous is that? He finds the Messiah and he doesn't say, well, that's good. He doesn't say, well, hope Simon figures it out. He actually goes and he says, we found the Messiah. The one we're looking for, the one we've been taught about, we found the Messiah and he brought him to Jesus. Now I want you to notice one thing. It says, he found first his own brother. Now I, I, I think the, the witness that we keep seeing as we study through the book of Acts when folks got saved, they went and told their family. When they got saved, they went and told their family. I think you start with those closest to you, but it says he found first his brother. And so that means there was somebody after that and somebody after that. The first one he went and found was his brother, Simon Peter. I'm not gonna stay here very long, but let me say this. What if he doesn't go find Peter? What does the movement of Christ look like if he doesn't go find Peter? You never know who God's working in and who God's working through. You never know who got saved, who led someone to Christ, who led someone to Christ. He goes and finds his brother, Simon. All right, and in the book of Mark, there's another account of the demoniac, the guy that has the, the demons, the Gerasene demoniac. And he is healed. The demons are cast out. And you read the account. It's kind of a weird thing. He goes back to the shore, and Jesus and the disciples are getting in the boat and he says, let me get in there with y'all. Let me go with you. I don't have any friends here. They think I'm crazy here. My past is too bad here. Let me get in that boat with you. And that's really what he says. Now, in my mind, Jesus would say, yeah, get in the boat. The disciples would say, hey, we're going back over here. Get in the boat. You know what Jesus says? Don't get in the boat. He actually says, go home. Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. I wanna go with y'all, don't get in our boat, please. Go and tell your people what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And you read the next verse and it says, and as he did, everyone was amazed. Maybe the greatest testimony was the guy that no one wanted, the guy that was crazy, the guy that had a terrible past is there talking about, I found a savior and his name is Jesus and he had mercy on me and he testifies to that truth. Go home to your people. Let me just tell you this and I've said it, you've heard it, but let me just tell you again. This is actually why we exist right now. And, 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 and there's folks that'll disagree with that and I'll just tell you that what they're gonna say, but they're gonna say well, there's other reasons that we exist right now. I want you to know this is the reason we're here. This is the reason Jesus hasn't come back. This is the reason you exist right now is to lead other folks to Jesus Christ. Now, there's some that will say, and I've heard it a bunch of times, we're here to worship. We're here to worship. And what an opportunity we have to worship. And we get to worship Jesus Christ. We exist in this day to worship. Let me tell you this. There will be no worship that compares to the worship when we're with Christ. And if the goal is worship, then let's just go home because that's gonna be worship. He doesn't, yes, we worship while we're here. Yes, we do that. But our purpose is not to worship. We're gonna worship fully without sin when we get to heaven. Well, maybe he leaves us here 
to grow in our walks. I hear folks say that. He's left us here to grow in our walks. Maybe he leaves us here to become like Christ. And as you go through life and you read the word of God, as you live, you'll become like Christ. I got to bust that bubble too. Do you know when you'll be like Christ? When you're with Christ. And so if the goal is to be like Christ, the way to achieve that's not staying here. The way to achieve that's going to be with him. Then we shall be like him. The reason he's left us here now is because we have a mission, and that is to lead people to the faith, the hope that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is why you exist. Now, let me just, I'm going to say this. I may be talking to myself, but let me just say this. Maybe that's why life is so hard for us. We don't know our purpose. Maybe that's why we have so little joy in life. You know what? If you're serving the wrong purpose, you're not going to have any joy. You may pull all the stuff off, but you're you're not going to have any joy. Our purpose is to lead people to Christ. We're going to have joy when we lead people to Christ. There's a sense of fulfillment in leading people to Christ. Understand, you exist right now to lead people to Christ. There's a thought that says, I'm not qualified for that. I'm not qualified for that. Here's the thing. No one's qualified for that. No person's qualified for that. But we have the privilege because God has given us the privilege. If you're waiting on a time that your reputation is good enough that everybody's going to see you and want to run to Christ, that's never going to happen. If you're waiting, do you know enough of the Bible that if somebody asks you a question, you'll have the answer, listen, it's never going to happen. If you're waiting until all the ducks in a row and everything lines up, you're not going to be qualified for this, but we have the opportunity to lead people to Jesus Christ. I think maybe a whole bunch of our joy has been robbed because we're missing our purpose. I'm going to show you one last thing, and then we're going to be done with this week. Here's something that I think we neglect to see. And I'm going to read it to you and I'm going to point it out and then we'll be done. The end of the Great Commission, listen to this. Jesus came up to them and he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, it means behold, see, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to see the last part of that. It is not just the end of Matthew's gospel. It's not just the end of the book of Matthew. I want you to see this, that last part. And behold, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, is actually part of the Great Commission. It's actually the end to the Great Commission. Jesus says, I'm leaving you here to lead people to me. I'm leading you here to make disciples who go out and make other disciples. And behold, see, I am with you always, even 
to the end of the age. It is actually part of the great commission. You're not gonna do this alone. You're not gonna do it in your own power. It's not gonna be lonely because I am with you even to the end of the age. Let me say this as we conclude. There is no greater thing to do. There is nothing that will be as valuable as leading a person to Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this. You can win the Super Bowl and it'll pass away and nobody will care. You can, you can be Bill Gates and have more money than you can divide up and give out and it'll pass away and it will not matter. You can achieve everything you set out to do and in the end, it will not matter. This is when we are closest to Christ. This is when our heart is closest to Christ. This is when our mind is closest to the mind of Christ. This is when we're walking in obedience with Christ, when we're actually telling folks about Jesus. Oh, I'd like to be closer to Jesus. Oh, I'd like to be close to Jesus. Our minds, our hearts, our actions are nowhere as close as when we're telling folks in obedience about Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. We must believe it. We must believe it. We must believe it. I'm going to end and say this. You have a purpose, and your purpose is to lead folks to Christ. And I want to tell you this. There are folks that you know. There are folks that you see. There are folks that you talk to that I don't know and that I won't see and won't talk to me. And God has built and placed you to tell them about Christ. Your kids, your parents, your neighbors, your brothers, your coworkers, our town, strangers, your enemies. God has placed you to tell folks about Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Glad you were here today. Be sure and be back next week. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come, and I'm thankful for a gracious Savior, thankful for a kind Savior, Thankful for a a Savior that didn't write me off, doesn't, doesn't cast me off, doesn't say you've gone too far, you've sinned too too much, but your grace is new and you're kind and you're compassionate. And you came to the cross of Calvary, you took my sin and you died for it, you paid for it there. And then in faith in you, your resurrection, I'm given new life. I'm given eternal life. I'm given abundant life. My record is is settled, fixed, finished in you. And I become a a child, a son of God. And so I praise you for that. I thank you for that. I pray for some here tonight that first off may not know you. I pray that tonight they find hope and peace in you that they might trust you tonight. I pray for those of us here that are believers. Maybe we're not walking in joy. Maybe it doesn't feel that good right now that we would understand this is our purpose and there's contentment and joy in that. Use us for that. And then I pray knowing that it's your will. Lord, I pray for opportunities. I pray opportunities for the young folks here, the older folks here, the folks that are raising kids here, the folks that have already raised kids here, the single folks here. I pray for opportunities for us to point to our our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us in that. We're thankful for your word. We praise you tonight. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here. You're dismissed.